Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome into Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic days wherever you may be across this great country or this great land. Right off the top, Louisiana poised to join the sports gambling online universe. We just had New York join up. Louisiana, you get 100 bucks if you're listening to me right now and you're in Louisiana. Maybe you'll live in Texas. Maybe you'll live in Mississippi. Maybe you're in Alabama. And you know you're going to be down in New Orleans sometime soon. Maybe you're traveling for watching an LSU game or you're in Arkansas. Whatever you are, go to FanDuel.com slash Clay right now and you can get $100 free to gamble with. FanDuel.com slash Clay. Get signed up in Louisiana right now. Yesterday. Uh, news came out, Big Poppy was the only Hall of Fame addition in uh, Major League Baseball and Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, because of the steroids era, lost their ability to become Hall of Famers. Kurt Schilling also not voted into the Hall of Fame. I think Major League Baseball got it wrong with all three. Let me explain why. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens were Hall of Famers before Major League Baseball's steroid era officially became a big deal. More importantly, Major League Baseball turned a blind eye to steroids forever because it helped the overall popularity of the sport. Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, the amount of attention that the chase of Roger Maris's home run record brought to bear in baseball benefited everyone. Moreover, Baseball players and pitchers were all roiding up. So the entire era was suffused with people using drugs to become better at their sport. So either you have to effectively acknowledge that everyone in that era is presumed guilty, which I don't think is a crazy proposition when you look at the overall numbers from that era, or... Or you're going to decide to single out a few players and argue they don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I think Major League Baseball got it wrong on Barry Bonds. I think they got it wrong on Roger Clemens. Both are Hall of Famers. And Kurt Schilling is not even alleged to have been a steroid user. He is being held out of the Hall of Fame 100 billion percent for his overall uh, political beliefs. And I think that's totally wrong. I think if if Kurt Schilling had been a left-wing shill, if he had been a huge Barack Obama supporter and a huge Joe Biden supporter instead of a huge Trump supporter, he would be in the Hall of Fame right now. And we can have a monster debate on this because I think it is a really interesting debate about to what extent your outside of the sport behavior should influence whether or not you are a Hall of Famer. But my general perspective on this is you should judge an athlete entirely for what they did on the field. Let me use O.J. Simpson as an example. O.J. Simpson is a Hall of Famer. He is a Heisman Trophy winner. He's also, based on the data, a murderer. 
That happened after he was in the Heisman Trophy winner and after he was already an NFL Hall of Famer. I don't believe your off-the-field behavior, if it doesn't directly influence your job at the time, should influence whether or not you are in the Supreme... uh, I'm going to talk about the Supreme Court in a minute. Whether you are in the Supreme resting spot of all athletics, which is the Hall of Fame for your particular sport. So, to me... Barry Bonds in, Roger Clemens in, Kurt Schilling 100 billion percent in. It disappoints me that sports media are so left-wing that they can't analyze the athletic work of of an athlete in their particular sport and leave aside whatever political angles they might have embraced. Because whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, shouldn't and doesn't influence your play on the field and it shouldn't and, and and I believe shouldn't be considered in any way as it pertains to whether you become a Hall of Fame member or not. That is my perspective. I think the vast majority of sports fans agree with me. By the way, I would put Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame even though he gambled on uh, baseball, uh, particularly because sports gambling is now legal pretty much everywhere, including Louisiana and uh, New York where you can get 100 bucks if you sign up at FanDuel.com slash Clay. But Kurt Schilling, definitely from a political perspective, I think baseball got this wrong on all fronts as it pertains to Bonds, Clemens, and Kurt Schilling. They should all be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Justice Stephen Breyer, I just hinted at it. Justice Stephen Breyer is apparently retiring. There's supposed to be an official announcement tomorrow. He's 83 years old. I believe he's been on the court for 27 years. Uh, and now Joe Biden, in theory, would get the opportunity to announce his replacement. That retirement would presumably occur at the end of the Supreme Court's term at the end of June and would occur as we get ready for the summer in part of the run-up to the midterm. Senate Judiciary Committee would have to decide. I don't think there's much doubt that if Joe Biden puts forward a qualified nominee, that that person will be seated on the Supreme Court to replace Justice Breyer. A couple of uh, points of analysis here. First, Joe Biden pledged that he would put a black woman on the Supreme Court. This may be, probably is, Joe Biden's only Supreme Court uh, opportunity. And given the fact that he painted himself into a corner by saying exactly what he would do, I don't think he has very many options here. I think he has to pick a black woman. This, to me, personally, is everything that's wrong with the idea of cosmetic diversity. What I would say here is, Democrat or Republican, you should want the best and most accomplished Supreme Court nominee imaginable, regardless of the race, gender, or sexual orientation of the nominee. It's my opinion, okay? Um... I believe also that politics should not infect every single aspect of the Supreme Court uh, process here. I believed that Kavanaugh was eminently qualified, Gorsuch and Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, Donald Trump was able to nominate all three. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that Justice Breyer is stepping down right now, but I also do not believe that Joe Biden is doing the best service for America by already having said that he is going to pick a black woman. And remember, Joe Biden also said when he was uh, running for the nomination, he said he's going to pick a woman. So that eliminated all men as a vice presidential running mate. 
Uh, I also didn't agree with that. There are several reasons why I don't agree with that, but the paramount one is you automatically are undercutting whichever selection you make when you limit your selectors by any kind of definable characteristics. In other words, if Joe Biden had said, hey, I'm going to pick the most qualified vice presidential candidate imaginable that fits all the criteria I am searching for, and then he had picked Kamala Harris, you could agree or disagree with that vice presidential pick, but he wouldn't have already said, and it has to be a woman. And similarly, if Joe Biden looks at all of the data and analyzes all of the nominees and decided to pick a black woman as his nominee, more power to him. You can agree or disagree with that pick. But when you automatically circumscribe the, uh, the, the data and say you are only picking a black woman or you are only picking a woman, it automatically undercuts that person's ability to argue that they are the best possible selection because in so saying that you're only going to pick a woman or you're only going to pick a black woman, you are canceling out the vast majority of the American population. Let me just use the black woman angle to start with. Only about 6% of the American population is black, a black woman. About 12% are black. About half of that is a woman. So Joe Biden, when he says, I'm going to nominate a black woman, is automatically excluding 94% of the overall American population. When Joe Biden said, I'm only going to pick a woman, he is automatically excluding 50% of the population. I just don't think that's smart. I think that's everything that's wrong with the diversity and inclusion narrative that exists in America where you're arguing you get the job because of your race or your gender. That is everything, in my opinion, that's wrong with cosmetic diversity. Pick the best candidate, but look at all of the candidates regardless of what their background might be. Uh, other thoughts on... Uh, the decision of Justice Breyer to step down, the reported decision of Justice Breyer to step down. He's not officially said it yet. Um, this is significant that he's deciding to do it right now because what it reflects is a high likelihood that the Democrats are acknowledging that they are going to lose their Senate majority in the midterm because right now they have the ability to get through a nominee as soon as they lose the majority, it would become much more difficult to get through uh, whoever that nominee might be and put them on uh, the Supreme Court. So Justice Breyer, one of the three liberals, one of the three left-wingers on the Supreme Court right now, is likely to be replaced by another left-leaning justice uh, here in uh, this scenario going forward as you analyze it. I would expect that Breyer's nominee, given the fact that Democrats have the ability to break the tie through Kamala Harris, uh, that that will end up happening. Now, some people are saying that Kamala Harris is going to be the nominee or could be the nominee. I think that's highly unlikely because I don't think that she wants it. But it would be interesting to see how that would play out if uh, the Democrats were able to get Kamala Harris on the Supreme Court. I think there's probably people in the Biden White House that believe a 2024 Joe Biden presidential campaign would be helped by Kamala Harris on the Supreme Court because so far she has not been much of an asset as the vice president. It would theoretically also allow Biden to go out and select a new vice presidential candidate who might help him better in the event that Biden runs or 
help to set a uh, agenda for who the next president might be. Who knows who that selection might be. Uh, but again, news that Stephen Breyer is retiring. Uh, I don't know how many of you saw this, uh, but the New York Times has finally weighed in on the Virginia, uh, sorry, the Pennsylvania swimmer, the situation that's going on right now where you have a biological man who is going to be swimming against women and potentially setting all-time records. And stop me if this surprises you, they are arguing that this is only a right-wing obsession when the reality is this. And, and I want to just take it outside of men's and women's athletics. Imagine if you had a heavyweight champion who suddenly decided, I want to fight as a boxer in the flyweight division. You had a 220 or 240-pound boxer. You got Tyson Gay. Uh, you've got, uh, you've got uh, Tyson Fury, sorry. Tyson, I think Tyson Gay was a boxer one day. Tyson Fury. You've got uh, Deontay Wilder. You've got somebody like that that decides, hey, you know what? I want to fight against featherweights. Well, people would say, no, 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 no. You weigh too much to box against people of that weight. You would crush them. You might even kill them. We're not going to allow that. I've coached a lot of Little League baseball. I've coached a lot of Little League basketball. If I suddenly in 10-year-old basketball brought in a 17-year-old to play in that league, all of the parents would say, no, 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 this is not allowed. You can't have a nearly full-grown adult be able to compete against 10-year-old boys. Of course, he's going to be way better. Those would challenge the direct fairness of competition. It's not a complicated situation. It's just 100% of truth. And so, if you look at this situation going forward, how in the world can you justify a biological man competing against women. Worse than that, how can you justify a biological man who is poised to set all-time records for women swimmers? It makes absolutely no sense to justify this in any way. It's an embarrassment to traditional notions of fair play and competition. And as a result, it should be condemned by anyone who cares at all about true competition. Not to mention feminists, not to mention Title IX advocates. The fact that we are in this position where the vast majority of the American public agrees that this is wrong and yet many of those same people who agree it's wrong, including the athletes themselves, are terrified to say what they really believe because of what the reaction might be is a sign that our ability to debate issues in society today is fundamentally broken and that we need to be far better at allowing the marketplace of ideas to flourish. We had a great guest today uh, on the Clay and Buck Show. I encourage you to go listen uh, to the daily podcast of our radio program. Carrie Lucas was the guest. She has five children. Right now in Virginia, I don't know how many of you are paying attention to this, but the newly elected governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin, came out and said, hey parents, you get to choose whether your kids wear masks in school or not. By gubernatorial order, you get to choose. And many Northern Virginia school districts filled with blue-leaning uh, blue voters immediately said, no, we're not going to listen to the governor of the state of Virginia. We're going to refuse entry to any student who refuses to wear a mask. 
So you have a situation where principals are following in the lead of, uh, of, uh, of, of former Alabama Governor George Wallace and standing on the steps of the schoolhouse door, refusing to allow students in who are not willing to wear masks. So you have suspensions that are immediately being levied on those kids who show up without wearing masks. And I just want to ask all these people who are supposedly obsessed with being on the right side of history, which is the right side of history? Doing the same thing as George Wallace, standing in the schoolhouse door and refusing to allow children to enter, or, or is it allowing parents to make rational decisions about their own children and whether or not they wear masks? Remember, we are not having a situation where masks are banned. What the governor of Virginia is doing is the same thing that many other Republican governors have done, and they are right here based on the science, which is allow parents to make a decision about whether or not their kids wear masks in schools. That's what my kids get to do, and I get to do as a parent right now. I have two kids in public school, a fifth grader and a first grader. I went and spoke out against the mask mandate because it is anti-science, and my kids haven't had to wear a mask all year. I get to make that choice. Other parents in the same school district have kids who are, just, who are wearing masks. That's their right. They can make that choice. I'm not arguing to ban masks. I'm arguing to give parents the freedom to make rational choices, standing in the schoolhouse steps to ban kids from being able to enter who might be wearing masks or not wearing masks is fundamentally being on the wrong side of history. Banning kids who refuse to wear masks because their parents don't believe it makes sense is not going to be well looked upon in the years ahead. Trust me on that as the emotion begins to fade. Speaking of crazy ideas, did you guys see this? A Seattle area school district has banned To Kill a Mockingbird from being taught as one of the books in their school district. That is absolute madness, okay? To Kill a Mockingbird, Harper Lee's 1960 novel, is maybe the most influential novel when it comes to American policy of the 20th century. Think about that for a minute. Very hard to argue that any novel has had more of an impact in the 20th century than Harper Lee's 1960 To Kill a Mockingbird. The book, of course, focuses on the wrong-headedness of racism in the Deep South as it pertains to uh, conviction of a man who did not uh, commit a crime. Spoiler alert, I believe it was Tom Robinson was the man's name, did not rape Mayella Yule, yet was held responsible for it. Atticus Finch was the lawyer who defended him, uh, and it was, a, uh, it was a case that forced, through this novel, many people to open their eyes to the ravages of American injustice in, uh, in the South and also in the country at large uh, as a result of that case. So arguing that it's racially, uh, racially insensitive or racially uncomfortable actually defeats the entire purpose here, which is to challenge existing mores. That's what great art should do. Great art forces us to examine what we believe and through a nuanced portrayal of life requires us to re-examine what we might already have believed, all right? Uh, I am, uh, in addition to the law degree, 
I've got a master's of fine arts in, uh, in, in creative writing uh, from Vanderbilt. So I've got a couple of different advanced degrees at Vanderbilt. And great writing at its essence, great art, particularly from a novelist perspective, is about challenging existing mores, rebelling against oftentimes the status quo, and bringing uh, a shining light of example through a narrative to what might be an injustice in our country. And I can't think of a book in the 20th century that has been more impactful in challenging racism than To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay, the idea of uh, blocking this book because of racial insensitivity can only occur by people who have not actually read this book. It is the definition of madness in general, right? Just absolute insanity. I will say, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin, probably the most influential book, if you want me to break it down, of the 19th century. Most influential book of the 18th century, at least in America, Common Sense, Thomas Paine, the pamphlet uh, that helped to inaugurate uh, the, uh, the, the Revolutionary War. So if you're doing like a, a big board of Clay Travis' most influential books of American history, I would go with in the 1800s, uh, sorry, in the 1700s, Thomas Paine's Common Sense. Uh, in the United States, this is. Obviously, around the world, it can be different. In the 1800s, I would go with Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. I'm paraphrasing here, but Abraham Lincoln famously said to Harriet Beecher Stowe, so you're the little woman who started this big war in reflection upon uh, that book and its overall impact. And then in the 20th century, I would put To Kill a Mockingbird on that list in terms of American most influential books in terms of the reaction that ensued from those books that were written. Uh, still remains to be seen what the most influential book of the 21st century will be, uh, but banning To Kill a Mockingbird is absolute madness. Uh, my guy Buck Sexton, might have heard of him. I co-host a radio show with him. Did a great analogy uh, as it pertains to everything surrounding Ukraine. He pointed out that the Democratic Party under Joe Biden right now is more interested in defending Ukraine's border than they are in defending our own southern border. We have people every single day roaring across our southern border, hundreds of thousands of people, millions in the course of a year, illegally entering this country. Oh, by the way, not being held to a vaccine mandate either, by the way. Uh, all these people pouring across our southern border and it's considered racist to talk about the impact and importance of our own border, yet we are supposed to be obsessed with Ukraine's border and whether or not Russia is going to continue to respect Ukraine's border. It's a great point by Buck Sexton. How in the world can we be focused as a country more on the Ukrainian border in Eastern Europe with Russia than we are with our own border in the United States? Finally, Israeli COVID data. A lot of people refusing to talk about this. Uh, this is a big deal. And so I want you guys to think about it. I just shared this data point. I want you to think about why virtually no one is talking about this right now. Look at the data coming out of Israel. It's been important to look at what the data in Israel shows us for a long time. Uh, and the new COVID cases, this is from Michael Singer, new COVID cases per capita in Israel have just broken a new world record. New world record high for COVID cases in Israel. Despite the fact 
over 90% of the adult population in Israel has received two vaccine doses. 80% have received two doses plus the booster. And over 500,000 people, which is almost 10% of the overall population of Israel itself, have received four doses, Israel proper. The government is now going to have four doses all throughout Israel and the cases are now over 100,000 a day. In Israel proper, not including the West Bank and other parts of Israel, Israel proper, where the data is very reliable, about 6.5 million people there. We're talking about the highest record of COVID in the history of the world so far, despite the fact that almost everybody is vaccinated there. That would suggest the COVID vaccine and the boosters are not providing very much protection, if any, against infection against Omicron. This should be the number one question that is being asked of Dr. Fauci. It isn't. Why is that? Why are so many media afraid to ask the most important questions of Dr. Fauci as it pertains to COVID? That is a big deal. It's a massive deal. And the fact that we have so many cowards in the larger universe of media who won't ask tough questions of people in positions of power like Dr. Fauci for being fearful of being called anti-vax. I'm not anti-vax. I just want data and facts to matter. I've already recovered from COVID twice, the Alpha and the Omicron version. What in the world is going on in Israel? And why won't American health authorities address the very difficult data out of Israel as it pertains to the COVID vaccine. All right, I love all of you guys. Get your bets in in Louisiana. Get your bets in in New York. $100 just to sign up. All you have to do is go to fanduel.com clay. And if you're in any other state, you can go ahead and sign up and they'll let you know the minute that gambling becomes legal on sports in your state. That is fanduel.com clay. I am Clay Travis. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. This has been Outkick the Show.